Gotta be said what? that you, above all others, can appreciate. Uh, you can appreciate. Really, really oh, come on. You can appreciate. Paul to open. Paul to open. Yes, and what do you do? Because I know you're a fake and I'm for a fact, so I want to know why you're doing this. You've been given a second chance. Oh, I do that. Oh, I have barely begun. You get a prize, honey. Now, you two, if you don't mind. Hey there, and welcome to Pull to Open, normally a random quest throughout the Doctor Who universe. But not this time. No, <laughs> not random. Uh, but in the Doctor Who universe, in the Doctor Who canon, we are going to be doing something different this week. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor. And uh, yes, you may remember that we did here on Pull to Open some hot takes on the specials and the 60th anniversary specials as we collectively call uh the star beast the wild blue yonder and the giggle um and uh what we're going to do today is a bit more than a cold take or hot take or uh either of those it's in between it's the it's the goldilocks of takes it's the it's the lukewarm take it's uh, just right it's just right yes we're not <laughs> too far away from the specials that we're looking at them with a historical eye uh we're not so close that we're kind of reacting with our immediate reactions we've had some time for it to to marinate pete right we've, it's been a couple of months now yeah uh, when we're recording this so uh the all of all of that kind of initial uh enthusiasm has faded but also sort of the initial like oh they they didn't do it right because oh, I, I had this immediate reaction because this uh and i think a lot of people are kind of go through going through this process of like looking back on them as a whole as mm. uh, as almost a single story which they do almost comprise and and mm. thinking well, well what what did we witness there what did did we like it yeah. um so yeah, yeah. Exactly. You can go back and listen to her, listen to our hot takes if you if you want that version. But um, but yeah, this is a more considered version in the in the cool light of day, as it were. Uh, Pete, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's been a couple of months now. Do you do you feel like more more well disposed towards the specials, or how's your general thinking on it gone? Right. I'm. I mean, I do feel like they're almost one adventure. In, mm. in a sense, right? Like I feel like, even though they're three distinct stories, they're really united by this idea of the reuniting Tennant and Tate, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, more than that, just establishing what RTD 2.0 is going to look like. Now right. we've also had the Church of Ruby Road since yeah. then, and we're probably not going to talk too much about that because that's really kind of a standalone. It's Shooty's first full episode is the doctor uh we've said uh, a good chunk about that already in our hot take and it really sort of stands apart uh, to a large extent from the other three um right. although i do think there's hints that there, I, I think there's arguably more hints about what season one of shooty is going to look like in the three specials with uh <laughs> david Tennant and Catherine tate than that first episode because you're kind of getting caught mm-hmm. up in all the things like the goblins and Millie Gibson, because that's her real first episode. Yep. Um, there, there's kind of like a, it's it's doing a lot of work that one, whereas uh, the previous three sort of gives RTD a little bit more of a through line and, and a chance to sort of settle in. So I think there's there's more to be mined there. Yeah, you when when you think about what he had to achieve here, right? It, it was he he had to bring on board people who were into the show at sort of its its audience height. 
the early 2010s, basically when he left mm-hmm. it. And uh, so he had to bring people back, people who'd sort of, you know, been disillusioned by the Capaldi era, the Whitaker era, or both. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and say, hey, you know, it's it's fresh, it's new. It's, you know, so he had to reintroduce well, it in a way, right? Uh, but yeah. then also celebrate an anniversary, right? And a lot of us were expecting a lot more on the celebration side other than Tennant and Tate. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, you know, we, we should sort of draw a distinction a little bit between the mass appeal of Doctor Who and the the hardcore fans or even casual mm-hmm. fans. Because here's the thing. You're right. It's like he comes back and it's a reboot. It's like, hey, it's new. It's different. But much different reboot because it's also the actor that you really like is coming back. So so it's it's a... Is it what's the right word here? It's a it's not prequel. It's not quite full reboot. It's it's like re, it's not a retread because that's a, a slam. It's a preboot. Um, yeah, it's I guess it's a preboot, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, be, and so it's I, I wouldn't say it's like threading a needle, but it is like it has this extra element of like particularly David Tennant and and Catherine Tate too, of course. But Tennant was like the person who who was the doctor when it it really ascended to a worldwide phenomenon mm-hmm. sure sure yes uh, eggleston kicked it off and uh, you know we wouldn't have had tenant if that wasn't such a great season but with 10 under tenant the tenant 1.0 it really became this this crazy worldwide phenomenon that that and smith sort of ably uh, with moffat grabbed the ball and ran and make it made it even more of a phenomenon here in america yeah, but, yeah so, Matt Smith so definitely guess, stood on David Tennant's shoulders in the yeah, US. What I, I want to sort of loop that back around to is kind of a question, which is, mm-hmm. is this what we expected? And let me clarify what I mean by we. Now, I don't mean we, you, and me, even though we were the people doing this, but is it <laughs> what the world expected from getting the band back together, as it were? Yeah, and was it kind of you know as as an anniversary special? How does it compare to the fiftieth anniversary special? Is I think right. another good kind of benchmark to to measure it against. Um, and I think that the first thing I'd say about that is I, th- I think RTD was right to not even try. Yeah, like the the day of the Doctor was such a such a multi Doctor spectacular, you know, changing whole things about. The, the entire canon of Doctor Who, introducing the War Doctor. Um, and really, you, you've got to say that the 50th was kind of almost a three, uh, three special anniversary as well, right? You know, the name of the mm-hmm. Doctor, Day of the Doctor, Time of the Doctor kind of go together as a trio, uh, right, much exactly. like these three. So, so this is RTD saying, I'm not even going to play that game. You know, we were expecting multi-Doctors, uh, we got them, <laughs> not in a way that we were <laughs> expecting. And I think it was wise to, right. like if Matt Smith had shown up at some point, or if they'd had, as RTD said, we mentioned this in the in the hot take, uh, he said that uh, he'd considered, and that the ship that the Wild Blue Yonder set on, inserting a cryogenically frozen William Hartnell, just to kind of give us a... Mess with us, really. Mess with us, exactly. <laughs> a multi-doctor messing with us. Um I'm glad he didn't do that. I'm, I'm glad. I got to say, overall, I think he took the right approach. I think it was a, a moment where he didn't want to be compared to Moffat, and yeah. uh, and he went off in an opposite direction. And you really can't, you know, like don't even try to do the Day of the Doctor again. 
you know, mm. do do something different. This, this moment well, pulls something different. I'd also throw in, we just had a multi-doctor story in The Power of the Doctor. Exactly. And, I mean, to my knowledge, Chibnall and RTD did not collaborate in the sense that I don't think Chibnall cleared it with him. Hey, by the mm. way, I'm going to do a bunch of multi-doctor stuff, FYI, for your 60th. Or maybe right. maybe it might have been that, but that would have been the extent of it. Yeah. So, I mean, they talk all the time. They know what, what each is going on. But yeah, exactly. When I've also said, you can only, you know, smash that multi-doctor button so many times before <laughs> it just starts to get worn out and we're just kind of going to start shrugging. Okay, come on. Mm-hmm. So I'm, again, I think, I think it was, he had to sort of challenge himself not to do that. Uh, though I got to say, I'm just going to get it out here. It's about time you came back, Matt. <laughs> like, let's, I know. let's, let's start figuring that out in the next, you know, four or five years or so. It, you, you know, you're doing good stuff and we like, we love you and all that. And, uh, at least just start doing some big finishes or something. So anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. Once once you're done with all that Game of Thrones stuff, come come exactly. on back to the franchise that still loves you. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, okay, so there's that question, and then there's there's also the question of like, how do you bring the fans back for more than just the specials, right? How do you how do you show them there's something new here, and how do you impress upon the world at large? The Doctor Who is still a, a creative force; that it's not spent. You know, this is this is something we're on the lookout throughout our random journey. Is the moments the Doctor Who got a bit tired mm. and would retread itself or reintroduce the Daleks, and uh, you know, just lean on old tropes. And uh, you got to say that this, this, these specials—they, the one word that keeps running, coming to mind about them for me is fresh. They mm, felt yeah. fresh. They felt new. They did not feel like a lumbering old franchise that is like too respectful of its own history. You know, they go off in fresh and new and interesting directions. They're not afraid to try new things uh, and suggest new things about the Doctor, and you know, uh, and introduce new things like by generation, which we should probably mentioned before mm. this podcast goes too far as the most controversial thing to have emerged from the specials. Well, I think my generation is a good example of the word I would use, which is deliberate. And I use that, I pick that word specifically because I think it's in contrast to the Chibnall era, which mm. we, I think, mistook for deliberate, yeah. but was really just loosey goosey, back of an whatever. And, and I'll be, you know, like I've had my issues with the Chibnall era, but one of them is that because it isn't deliberate, it just kind of feels a bit clumsy at times, mm-hmm, I have to mm-hmm, say, you know, yep. particularly with some of those one-off episodes, not even the arc ones where, you know, Orphan 55 comes to mind and it's easy yeah. to kick that episode down and I'm not going to get into it again here. We, you can go back to our podcast that talks about that episode in detail, but just an, an episode that really just doesn't even understand the show, like the structure yeah. of the show and what future history is and possibilities in time. So uh, again, uh, RTD, um, I think reassured us that he still has that deliberateness and it comes out sometimes as meticulousness and perfectionism and lines that are very, I think, architected to intrigue, uh, even if they won't necessarily be paid off. A good example being the, uh, j- the toy maker making a jigsaw of the doctor's history. Mm-hmm. Obviously very deliberate. Put in, it's a split second, blink and you miss it line. But RTD did, uh, he knew that was going to tantalize fans. And yeah. you know, for some of us, 
sort of let us give ourselves permission to start to enjoy this era on a different level. And I, I think say, that's very smart. I gotta say, if I if I would make one change, it would be to just insert a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, having the doctor say what you mean and and the toy maker just reel off a few things like they that, like they actually do in, in Curse of Fenric, where we've recently been to uh, like right. there's at least some mention of all of these things that Fenric is supposedly responsible for in, in the Doctor and Ace's history. Uh, so just a little bit more would have would have would have pleased me. I think please some of the older fans would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so. Uh, just to sort of expand a little bit on the deliberateness. By the way, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think I think not necessarily literally naming things, but. Having a little more than just tenant giving him a weird look at that moment uh-huh. would have been would have been okay. Um, again, I don't. I, uh, it's a delicate balance because you don't want it to be distracting it, within the story that they're telling. So, um, flipping the deliberateness thing a bit, where I think this, I'm I'm a little skeptical of this, and I I, I want to be careful with my words here because I don't want to come across as what I think a lot of people think is a sort of a, a I wouldn't say toxic, but uh, mm. I, I would say predictable part of fans are like, oh, it's all woke and he's showing he's woke yeah, and, yeah. or whatever. Like, I don't want to go down that road. Maybe we should we do do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a future podcast. <laughs> Again, I think we we mm. got to sort of attack that a little a little more carefully. But I do think some of the the sort of, quote unquote, deliberate choices where he is trying to um, I'm not sure if it's advancing a deliberately sort of progressive point or trying to correct or update his own approach to the show, which Mm -hmm. I think sometimes more progressive fans guilt him over and case in point, end of the world and blah, 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 environmental messaging, which I don't know if he's ever going to do that. But here's the Mm -hmm. point. I'm going to point it like uh, something I I gave him a hard time for in the giggle where he sort of had a lot of, not a lot of, it's actually not that many if you look at it, but they're very, they stick at like a sore thumb are those moments where they point out like Shirley's disability and mm-hmm. um, sort of kind of keep referencing it and keep coming around to it. And it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I, I get what you're doing. And again, he's being very deliberate about it, but I do think he gets in his own way there in terms of storytelling. Um, yes. Like, like I say, I think the better choice for a lot of these things he's trying to do is simply have it out there and tell the, tell the story that you're going to tell, but have that, that thing be there, you yeah. know? And I think he, he actually was, I think better about this in 1.0 in some ways where you had a character, like for example, Jack Harkness, who was just very clearly sort of this, the sort of omnisexual right. being, uh, sort of pushing those norms, uh, without always talking about it on a meta level, even though they mm-hmm. were there, I wasn't, I'm saying they obviously didn't dwell on it, but it was like, you know what I mean? Like, I think there was a, there was a meta level now to it, where you you see it coming and it's a bit more clumsy. I do know what you mean, and I do have to. Uh, probably not surprised to know that I disagree with you on that front. I actually really liked the way that, for want of a better word, RTD handled handled the wokeness here. Um, you know, it, as opposed to the Chibnall era, where I felt that mm. it was very heavy handed, and we talked about yeah. you know even great episodes like Rosa, sort of spoiled by a bit of an after school specialish feel right not necessarily as far as the whole episode and yeah that's a particularly strong example of like where it's not too too foregrounded 
but I did feel like it got in the way of the story in the Chibnall here, and I didn't have that reaction with RTD. I thought that he inserted it nicely into the story. But to to the point of like this being the main point of debate, like this is the this is the last Jedi moment for, for Doctor Who, <laughs> basically. Because if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, what you've got uh, based on fifty seven re- critical reviews is ninety six percent. Excellent score. Okay. Excellent score. Uh, and, and individually, I think it's something like 93, 100, 100 uh, for the three specials. Now, the audience score is 43%. And mm. I bet you can't tell what's been going on in the audience score. I bet you can't tell that there's been a lot of review bombing and a number of review. Like, there's, it's all five-star reviews and one-star reviews. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you again, could, and I you know. could probably write the one-star reviews yourself, and a lot of them are sort of telling on themselves, where they say, "I joined just, I joined Rotten Tomatoes just to say that Disney has ruined Doctor Who." Right, and I'm. I here's the thing. Like, I I think there's a whole separate podcast we probably need mm-hmm. to do on this phenomenon, and I don't know if we're going to solve it. And it's probably it might be a mistake that even mm-hmm. stepping into this, but you're you're not wrong um but you also are right? like in the sense that like if y- yes that 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 proves both your point and the opposite point if you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying mm-hmm. which is that the people giving those one star reviews will point to that 96% and see that as like evidence of a sort of progressive ideology that has done sort of an institutional mm-hmm. capture of things and you know it, it, it's it's like yes there's a big disparity, but is there, it's the same sort of argument of like, well, 70 million people voted for Trump and whatever, right. Or 70 plus million. It's kind of like, how, how can you possibly invalidate all that much of a, of a, of, of the population? Right. So it is like, I think the points they often make are clumsy. I do think there's a lot of toxicity in there, but I also think there, there must be a there there, or it simply wouldn't be there. You know, like there must be. Uh, no smoke so, without fire, you're saying? Yeah, I don't know. I think it may be summarized in a review here from Darren, Darren H., who says, uh, weak one-star review, weak storylines with undertones are partially hidden and open offensiveness to majority groups. Uh, mm. So, <laughs> yeah, majority groups are offended by this. Yeah, forget the minorities. Uh, you know, be be nicer to majority groups. Now, I'm I'm not entirely clear what what that's about. Like, it just you know, it it does seem to be a lot of these people are telling on themselves that they basically just don't like uh, the modern world. The modern world is very diverse, and um, you know, uh, we we pay attention to a lot of minority groups and. Well- I, just, I think you can. It's a you can. Thing, you, know? you can be, you know, pro diversity without wanting to have it like pointed out uh, mm. constantly that diversity is awesome every time you you turn around, right? Like, right. I, in other words, I think there's a middle ground here, which is often overlooked. Of look, yes, like no one's against the diversity or whatever this thing is, but I also like making it constantly about that, uh, isn't good entertainment either, Hmm. you know, like, so, so it's like, how do you, how do you thread the needle? Hmm. Um, how do you make the good entertainment while also making sure you're, you're, uh, making the points you want to make? I don't know. I, I, I will say RTD is probably, better at it than Chibnall, certainly, and probably a lot of other people. So um, given the choice, I would rather have him do it 
mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily than just simple or, or rather than not making the point. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that <laughs> I think he can be clumsy at it, but I do think he is judged too harshly for it. If mm-hmm. I'm trying to make up thing by, by yep. particularly this group, which I do agree with you is digging their feet in on a certain political point of view of the world and is not letting themselves see the, the, all of the good stuff that is actually coming through as well. Like, yes, yes, there's some clumsy stuff, but it doesn't ruin it. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah. And lo- a lot of these reviews are, you know, deliberately misgendering Rose. And like, you know, it's clear what, oh, what the agenda yeah, is here, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Let, let me let me be a guardian of the edge here and pull us back from the edge of the political discussion and the diversity <laughs> discussion. And pull us back to, I think, a, a, a bigger problem with the storytelling, which is that RTD still has an issue. Like, he's he is a great storyteller, but he always has an issue with that that big old reset button he does love to push it at the end of an episode and i still think that the weakest moments of the specials were the uh in the star beast where the uh the destruction of london gets reversed you know there's those giant cracks in the streets of london that just somehow gets wiped out and then the whole kind of resolution of the meta crisis and this may be the the one you know, point where I agree with the, the anti-wokeness brigade is that like just having a whole thing of like, just let it go is yeah. um, not necessarily a good way to wrap it up. And it is just hitting the reset button on, on this whole meta crisis thing that we were all kind of, you know, really invested in. Yeah. And it's also um, sort of confirmation, I think, where fan consensus has fallen with regard to ranking these, hmm. which is that wild blue yonder and the giggle are pretty close and some people prefer i, I don't think that many but i think most prefer wild blue yonder but it, like some people prefer the giggle and i think mainly mainly because of neil patrick harris and sort of seeing that sort of epic showdown again with tenant um but everyone seems to put the star beast uh mm. dead last um which is too bad because that's the first one that sort of kicked off this era but i don't know if it was the most important one to get right so I don't know. I guess I'd ask you, do you like that the way the consensus has gone and that it's kind of gone wildly yonder giggle and then star beast? And is that good for the show? Yes, I I think it actually is good for the show. No, I, I well, okay. So here's the thing. I, star beast, like you, you have to, there's a certain almost Christmas episode-ness to it, which is yeah. that the, the living room is going to be louder than usual, right? It's, it's it's new it's new doctor who it's returning and it's trying to bring in a mass audience so it's doing something different you know rtd said specifically he was trying to go for a pixar kind of vibe with that one and i think he achieved it uh for the most part and i kind of love that it's like so focused on the meep uh that Mm. was great to bring the meat back and sort of, you know, bring it, bring in the old school fans that way. Cause we all love, we all love a bit of meat. We all love a bit of Dave Gimmons, uh, Tom Baker, Doctor Who comics. Right. So, you know, we did a whole episode on, uh, reviewing the original comic book version. Um, so I think that you sort of needed a bit of throat clearing in that sense, not to say that that's all the star beat star beast was but you sort of need to you know and also remind us that this is a show for kids first and foremost like get the kids first do the pixar style thing for the kids first and then like we're we're all on board then and we're Mm -hmm. we're we're ready to go to wherever the tardis is going to take us because donna dropped coffee on the console you know 
Um, so yeah, I, I think it's actually pretty good that they got better as they went along. Now, I'm not sure if the if Wild Blue Yonder is better than the Giggle. I think it probably is. It's got the bottle episode thing, but but yeah, in in general, the idea of the first not being the best, you know, mm. I think it was it was good enough, and it had to do something different. So, uh, so wait a minute, you good. you don't necessarily think Wild Blue Yonder is better than the Giggle? This is good because this is actually mm. showing like a little bit maybe of <laughs> difference. Because to me, Wild Yonder is is above the rest, like head and shoulders above the rest. Um, yes, it's probably advantaged a bit by the wild by, by the bottle episode, yeah. but the giggles. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a close second, but it's second, hmm. and then Starbeast is way down. So, but you seem to be putting the giggle maybe at the same or even higher than Wild Yonder. I would say, in terms of how much it affected me and how much I think about it. And how many risks it took? Uh, mm. I think the giggle is superior. Um, now, would I rate it above Wild Blue Yonder just on a story level? Probably not. Uh, but you know, it's it's they're trying to do different things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the giggle had its sort of requisite level of WTF, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. which is kind of what it was aiming for. And the Wild Blue Yonder had its requisite level of. Like we're just gonna chill out and have a creepy adventure on a spaceship, and it's we're going back to basics here, right? So they, they were aiming for different things. It's kind of really hard to measure them off against each other because of that. And I think they they both succeeded in what they were trying to do. But yeah, the the, the giggle, um, you know, we were expecting something just mad, mad to use RTD's favorite word, and and I think we got it. Like I was, we were kind of really hyped up for it. And I think mm. we, we got something crazy. Like, yes, I think that I would love just a little bit more explanation about the jigsaw of the history. I would also love just a little bit more explanation of by generation supposed to yeah. be, it's supposed to be a myth, like just a little, little tweak more than that. And I'd be fine with it. Well, also I think, and I don't think this is would spoil much, like a little bit more of what happens now. Mm. And there's been a lot of discussion, most of it unofficial, about the 14th Doctor eventually having a true regeneration hmm. into the 15th. And there's all the sort of off-screen stuff uh, RTD said about every Doctor now being sort of bifurcated, which I don't even know what that means, you know? <laughs> and the thing is, why I don't think it would spoil much if they put more there is that the two Doctors sort of go off and live their lives and aren't wondering these things, right? So in other mm -hmm. words, they seem to sort of already know what's going to happen in, at least on some level, but they haven't clued us in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, I know off screen, they've said there's no plans to bring tenant back. Uh, maybe that's a mislead. Maybe it's not still. I, I, again, I feel like this is one of those things kind of like the timeless child that, is changing lore so much that you're going to have to come back around to it at some point, just to give you know, the, 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 the validity to what they did in, in the giggle. You know, one, one question that's just occurred to me is that like the, when, when Shooty creates two TARDISes out of one with mm -hmm. the, the magic hammer is that, does that mean when I mean, you can't just create or destroy hammer, uh, a matter, even with a magic hammer, uh, you, you know, so is, is the TARDIS now half its original size? <laughs> is it Ooh. half as big on the inside? Yeah. Well, it's also like maybe 
like in other words, like we've we've had a bi generation, a bifurcation, if you will. Will we uh-huh. have a uni- a reunification uh-huh. later? So presumably, maybe the TARDIS recombines with itself if there's a real regeneration. If you know, yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. Like again, he's obviously making up the rules as he goes along. Um, I would actually prefer it. You know what? If if there isn't an official regeneration of the fourteenth, if the bi generation mm-hmm. was it. Yeah, and then because that means that some some point in the dim and distant future, maybe when Tennant's a very old actor, we could actually see a Doctor die uh, for the first time, like not regenerate. Mm. And, Interesting. Yeah, you could have That'd something right. to say, you know, and that that could sort of be a a, a great lead into an episode, a great cold open, like the death of mm. the death of Doctor Fourteen, the death of Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> to use a Sarah Jane title, right? Uh, I thought it was a uh, title of one of the episodes of The Chase. Oh, yes, The Chase, yes. yes. Uh, the Death of Doctor Who. I think there's there's something, there's the, like the Doctor's funeral in the Sarah Jane Adventures, right, where, where she meets Matt Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Oh, wow, that would be fantastic down the line. I'd love that. And and what, a, what an ominous cold open that would make. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Maybe that could um, even be the seventieth special. Like all, all of the doctors are gathered together for the funeral of the fourteenth. Oh man, look at this! RTD mm. call us. <laughs> so, taking it all as a whole, um, what predictions do you have for season one of Shooty? And it doesn't have to be like plot stuff. I'm not talking about plot stuff. Is it's like, do you have a sense that basically RTD? is taking this in a place that, you know, we're going to like, is it, is it like, I mean, obviously we're going to like it on some level, but is it, I, 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 the, what we have to go on are these specials and RTD 1.0. And of course the stuff he says, you know, off screen, um, well, it's think definitely it's definitely not RTD 1.0. I think that's that's the first thing we're yeah. seeing. But 100%. also, I think we're seeing that he has perhaps uh, gained uh, a better ability to steer the ship mm-hmm. and certainly to steer the Disney money. Because of course, this isn't Disney ruining Doctor Who. And if you believe it's ruined, it's RTD himself. He's just you know, it's the classic thing with Disney. They, you know, as the as the author Timothy Zahn said about Disney's relationship with Lucasfilm, they bring a dumb truck of money on monday and they return on friday with two dump trucks uh you know that that's how it goes they don't interview with the story people they might have a few notes but you know rtd is is a senior enough figure like he's in charge he's larger in charge and i think he proves it here and he is threading the needle that every doctor who showrunner has to thread that chibnall also tried to thread of like Big time fans, new fans, right? You try and get them both. And how Chibnall was trying to do it was, I think, how they kind of tried to do it in the classic show as well, right? And we've we've talked about this in the McCoy era, you know. But it, it start the rot started earlier than that, where they basically had you know fans saying, oh, like you know. Uh, Arc of Infinity, for example, throw in uh, Omega. Yeah, everyone will remember mm. Omega. Uh, no, they won't. Like everyone will remember this reference to this, you know, uh, JNT saying we can't have vampires in uh, in Curse of Fenric because they were in state of decay seven years earlier. Crying out loud, uh, you know, even more. But 
yeah, so so there's that. That is the bad way, I think, to keep classic mm. fans on board. We're going to throw out an obscure reference to this thing that three people will get. Uh, whereas RTD is much more in the sense of like, no, I'm, I'm keeping everyone on board, including, by the way, the the Tribunal era fans. You know, throwing mm. in the, uh, you know, saying yes and to the timeless children, uh, making the Doctor very explicitly an orphan. Obviously, that's going to come back again so yeah i think it's it's a good sign he knows what to do with the disney money he knows how to unite the fandom somewhat um and Mm. he's also and he's also just like not afraid to uh do whatever he thinks is necessary for a good story and that's the key is that he clearly knows that story is king and you're not going to have a show if you don't bring in the millions millions of casual viewers and look after them first yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think 1.0, even though I wouldn't say it's completely devoid of, of um, sort of clues, what we would sort of see in this new era, I do think it's it's not much of a guide. Well, partly because, you know, think about this. The first time he brought back the show, like everything was fresh. Like he did fresh looks on the Daleks and fresh looks on uh, the Cybermen and uh, like all these villains and these concepts, the time war and even just the special effects around regeneration energy. What is regeneration anyway? And blah, blah, blah. And the last of the time Lords. And there was like surprisingly uh, a lot of canvas he found, even though it was a, like a show with a long, long history, there was a mm. lot, the way he set up the canvas was very blank uh, mm-hmm. sort of gave himself a lot of blank space. And I th- feel like there's this canvas, I wouldn't, it's kind of simultaneously smaller and bigger because so much of that's mm. been done. Bigger on the inside, you might say. But also like now he has, like you said, the Disney money. So there's more mm-hmm. potential to, in those areas of canvas that may not be as a big as they were in 2005, but holy cow, can you get granular with some of these brushstrokes. So I feel like that's what he's doing and he still has that sort of deliberateness. But I think what we're in for is maybe somewhat, I'm hesitant to say smaller because I don't think they're going to feel smaller, but it is going to be um, more filling in his own world and Shooty's world and uh, really sort of getting interesting about those, those, whatever sort of strands he sort of pulls in. Uh, from the from the first like you mentioned Mavic Chen and stuff like that right yeah. like I feel like there's going to be even though that's a very minor thing from yeah that, that's from a bit Chernobyl-esque like yeah, yeah we're going to throw in a mention of Mavic Chen and all yeah. of the destruction of Legopolis yes so yeah I think I think we're in for um, something interesting and some very um, character driven episodes that uh, you know he's mm-hmm. so good at that domestic stuff with particularly with uh, sort of Millie Gibson and, and yeah. her character Ruby Sunday's family. He loves um, families. That so, yeah. that much is still clear. I'll I'll also bring around. Uh, I'll bring it back around to the very first thing that happens in the Star Beast as an example of the fact that he still likes to play with form. Because what? How does the Star Beast open? Uh, once upon a time, once upon a time, Lord, mm. and it is the Doctor and Donna both talking to camera as as they would in the theatre. Now we barely got to discuss this in um, in amongst everything else in the hot take, but like that's the first time that's happened in Doctor Who, right? That is, mm. you know, he comes right out of the gate in these specials with a new way of talking to the audience that the show has never tried before. And maybe you don't think it worked, but I kind of loved it. Mm. I was like, oh, this is weird. Like the characters are doing recaps 
And normally that wouldn't that could, that has potential to really not work in a major way. Right? <laughs> but I, it, I argue maybe it didn't even work in this case. Uh, oh, but, okay, all right. Well, yeah. then we disagree about yeah, something else about the studies. About the uh, what my initial take was on that, uh, I'd have to go back and listen. But I, until you just taught, described it just now, I'd completely dragged and dropped that out of my memory of the starbase. Um, well, again, yeah. it's sort of like I, I feel like it's a it's a theater trick, right? You, and mm-hmm. I noticed this at the time. I think that it sort of you can kind of imagine them on stage in different spotlights, and the spotlight goes from one to the other, right? So in a way, it's sort of like you're you're doing a thing that's the opposite of having Disney money. You're doing a thing that could be done in in the classic show, just like have a spotlight on one character and they tell their story, uh, direct to camera, like break, breaking the fourth wall. Um, you know, so, so big, big risk, big reward, as far as I'm concerned, like that, that sort of punctures the noise. It captures, it catches everyone up. It's better than a previously on Doctor Who, which is, you know, uh, which is hard mm. to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Moffat did it once. years right? later on Doctor twice, Who. Yeah. yeah. For twice upon a time, he did that, you know, 500 episodes later or whatever it was, or Private episodes previously, mm. just zero in on the thing that we need to know and reassure the audience that you know you don't need to go back and watch the entire Jodie era. If you remember how Donna left the Doctor, like that's enough. So that was a sign, I think, that you know he's he's playing around with the format. He's not treating the show like in in any sort of religious sense, which is good. You do not like that. That would be a death knell for Doctor Who if you're treat, if you're being too careful about it and trying too much to follow what's gone before. No, no, this is a new show. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be constantly reinvented. And and RTD gets it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I will say, I think Wobbly Honor, even though it's my favorite of the three, I don't think is going to be representative of like what we're getting hmm. um, soon because it is such a bottle episode and it's so clearly written for that pair. Yes. Um, that well, said, it- <laughs> I love the. I think conceptually, we're going to get some interesting stuff. Again, this is, I, I think Wild Beyonder shows Davies doesn't just get obviously Dr. Who and his leads, but he, he gets the potential of it. And he's had this since the beginning. I remember I made comparisons from that episode to uh, episodes like end of the world and just cranking up the stakes and the sci-fi elements to a, such a large degree that it just really pulls you in. Um, mm. He's the master of that. Uh, yeah. He gets sci-fi, so I'm very sort of reassured by that episode that he hasn't forgotten, even though he's done a lot of other non-sci-fi stuff since. He gets sci-fi. He knows how to make you care about characters. That that is, you know, job number one of any good writer. And it's surprising how many writers forget it. RTD doesn't. Uh, but also, Wild Blue Yonder, for being a bottle episode, may end up having the longest-term impact uh, through through the whole Mavity thing. Because didn't didn't yeah. we get a we got a Mavity reference in the Church on Ruby Road? Yeah, I think it's so, going to be. A, I think it's going to be a running joke throughout yeah. his era. I think until the next showrunner <laughs> corrects that, unless if they want to. It's it's just going to be part of Doctor Who from now on, which is it. It's okay. It's like <laughs> when everyone said frack in uh, Battlestar Galactica. It's going to be like that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it would be great if that ends up being a thing that's only resolved in RTD's final episode of, you know, whenever he decides to leave the show again. Uh, or if it just keeps going. It's, you know, this thing that carries on all the way through to the 70th anniversary Mavity, just because the the doctor is the one who used the word in uh, in church on Ruby Road, so it's not like the doctor is aware that there's something wrong. Mm. So one thing I'm just going to add before we wrap up is that I recently heard about 
a thing they cut from the credit sequence. So the new opening credit sequence mm. that they did, which, you know, cost tons of money and, you know, has the TARDIS streaking across cosmic clouds and mm-hmm. uh, whatever else during the, the theme song, they had a bit where Tennant and Tate would sort of lean out of the TARDIS and actually shot it like really quickly. So you'd see them in the TARDIS. <laughs> Um, and then they actually shot a similar bit with Shurigawa and huh. Gibson, and they ba- basically RTD was the only person who liked it for for all the audience he screened it with, for all the people he showed it to. Everyone said, "Yeah, you got to cut that bit out. It looks just wow." Stupid. And I think the biggest thing, the person that had the effect was Moffat. Moffat was just like, uh. "Yeah, that." He saw it. He's like, I love your new title sequence, but you got to cut that bit out. And so it's gone. So now it's clean. It doesn't have, you don't see anybody in it. And that's Stephen Moffat saying that. Stephen Moffat, the guy who put Capaldi's eyebrows in the opening credits. (laughs) Well, but I think this shows, you know, he he could still take criticism and like the, Hmm. and feedback, right? And if, if upon, if it does really, make it better or at least not uh to subject people to something really really naff looking i guess mm. um he can adjust so uh he's got a little humility still so that's that's a good i think that portends well for the future yeah i i would agree and i think that's uh that that opening sequence in general i gotta say it rapidly became my favorite of all time i know you're not oh, supposed yeah? to say that even more than the time school. tunnel even more than the time tunnel yeah was i just there's something right. about like it's the all of the you see the money <laughs> on the, on yeah, the yeah, screen yeah. And, and i i i can't help it even though i know it's dumb and it's like overused and it's a trope the moment where the camera like zooms in where it's like mm. wait what's that a tardis uh, or yeah, a yeah. police box <laughs> whoa let's zoom in on that um i kind of like it i, yeah. I can't help myself cool. i love it all righty um well that's our lukewarm take i think i don't know any final thoughts <laughs> oh just that you know doctor who's back baby it's got it's got disney money and a fan who knows how to write stories knows the stories come first so i think that the the long-term health of doctor who is perfectly assured and this show will never get cancelled exactly <laughs> i think i think doctor who needs a little bit more deliberateness now and i he's uh. just the guy to do it yes Welcome back, RTD. We'll hope you're sticking around for a long time. All right, folks, go ahead. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're right. Tell us whatever you want. Just tell it to us on the socials. We're at Pull to Open on TikTok, Blue Sky, and we're at Pull to Open 63 on Instagram, Twitter, all the other places you can normally find us. Uh, and of course, we're on YouTube.com slash Pull to Open. Go check us out there. You can see us and you can also become a true companion of the podcast uh, by supporting us at the low, low price of $7.99. And plus, you'll get the podcast a day early. How about that? Woohoo! All right. Well, we will see you daily, folks, a day early when we get back on our random adventure next week. <laughs>